Hello and welcome to Frontend Union Podcast, a show where we interview speakers from the conference that has the same name. It's called Frontend Union Conf. Today we have in the show Alek Patsechin. Alek is the founder and an organizer of JavaScript meetups in Moscow, St. Petersburg and Helsinki. He has a lot to share about starting a community and running a successful community. This conversation we touch his background, challenges of starting a community, his plans for the future, and his interests. Tons of valuable insights. I hope you enjoy it. Um, hi, I'm Oleg, um, and I'll be doing the talk about running JS meetups. I think we've met in Moscow a couple of years ago, and you were actually the founder, one of the founders of Moscow JS, right? That's right, yeah. And you've explained to me the basic details of running the meetup, and uh, at some point I took over Moscow JS, and uh, except for Moscow JS, you also were running Helsinki JS and Peter JS. Am I missing something? Um, yeah, I mean those are the JS meetups that I run. Oh, and uh, by the way. I mean, you didn't just take over, but I mean, I think you took you guys took Moscow JS Moscow JS to the next level, really. So I've been really impressed with what you've been doing. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I'm uh, I'm living in Helsinki and I'm running uh, the Helsinki JavaScript meetup. Um, and also, me and my my colleague Anton, with whom we started Moscow JS, um, we're uh, we've been running or helping to run uh, the St. Pete JavaScript meetup remotely, which which has been a bit of a challenge. But then in addition to the uh, JavaScript meetup over here, I also run um, or helped run a few other meetups um, like Metrics Monday, which is kind of an analytics meetup, then the Helsinki SaaS meetup, and also the Helsinki Meta meetup, which is the local uh, meetup for the for um, meetup organizers. Um, yeah, and then and then also actually we haven't announced it yet, but I guess I, I may as well say it now. Like uh, later this fall, we're planning to start uh, a new meetup in Moscow as well with Anton. Um, it's gonna be uh, maybe I shouldn't say what it's gonna be called because I don't think we've registered all the domains yet. But uh, anyway, the the theme um, of the meetup will basically be kind of topics at the intersection of business and technology. But the main goal is gonna be that we're gonna have all the talks. Um, in English, because uh, I think in Russia, like the language is a bit of an issue that a lot of people who would like to give talks at international events don't really have a kind of a platform or a place where they can practice giving those talks. So we'd like to offer that to people. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. For for some time, we were pushing this uh, idea in Moscow JS. And actually, the first front-end union conf that we did in Moscow one of the ideas behind it was also that we would ask people to give talks in English, but somehow it was uh, it was super hard to convince people to to actually do that. And it makes sense, uh, like people who speak Russian didn't want to do talks in English uh, at the Russian conference. Yeah, well, let's see let's see how it goes. I think um, you know maybe by having like not only like the tech focus but also talking more about business business type things and kind of 
starting the community from scratch will hopefully create an environment where everyone is keen to speak English. Because I think uh, there's, there's like a lot of talent and a lot of interesting things coming out of Russia, but because of the language barriers, sometimes thing, things sort of arrive with a bit of a delay or, or then they get kind of somewhat lost in translation. And I think it would be great for everyone if, if that wasn't the case. Like a, a funny story I had was, um, I mean, back in the day when the blog was active, um, I was contributing to, to, to a blog called uh, Daily JS. And um, I interviewed uh, Ryan Dahl, the creator of Node, for it. And um, and, and then, um, you know, the post got published and all was good. And, and then something like um, two years later, uh, someone decided to translate my interview into Russian and post it to Haber, uh, which is like a popular Russian techie site. And, and basically, I, I got a lot of uh, sort of complaints in the comments saying, you know, why are you asking all these things? You know, that's like old news. Uh, you know, Node has had these features that you're talking about for at least a year now. And no, no one actually bothered to look at the date of when the interview took place. So, so like, I don't know, just a kind of anecdote, but, you know, uh, sometimes things seem to arrive with a bit of a delay in the Russian-speaking tech, tech community. Yeah. What will be your talk about? Yeah, so it'll just be a, a kind of a series of um, anecdotes and, and I guess some, like, lessons that I've learned um, organizing these meetups and attending them over the past five years. So just kind of some practical advice for people that are maybe considering starting their own meetup um, so as to, you know, help, help people avoid some of the mistakes that, that we made when organizing our events. Um, but but I'm also, I'm letting, you know, I also want to kind of plant some seeds for the future and talk about um, you know, how we can take things even further. So maybe even beyond what you guys have done in, in Moscow, because I think there's always room for improvement. And once you get like a formula that seems to work and and you have a community that's almost running by itself, you kind of want to make it better still. So um, it would be great to discuss some ideas I have with with the audience and, and other other speakers and stuff. Yeah. I remember when we had something like a round table at a conference in Moscow and we were talking actually about meetups and conferences and communities. Uh, at some point, people started just telling their stories from like people from small cities, how, how hard it is to, you know, get their community together, find a place and uh, do monthly meetups. But I think it was super valuable in the end. And... Uh, yeah, we agreed to meet with people from different cities later, and we even took Moscow Jazz to other cities, like speakers from Moscow Jazz to other mm -hmm. cities afterwards. And how, how did that go? That was great. We were planning to to make it a constant exchange, like maybe every every several month, but it's still in progress. We are working on that. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially. I mean, that, that's sort of the main issue with running a community is that, that if you're in a big city, um, then, you know, and by big, I mean like a, a million or over, uh, you tend to um, get quite a lot of interest and then you run into these issues of, you know, who do you let into your events because you're always oversubscribed, you know, how do you find a big enough venue and, and so on. But then if you're in a smaller city, then you have this problem that it's always the same people that show up and, and or 
more or less the same people and, and that you have sort of a shortage of speakers. And yeah, uh, I mean, I think, I think really the solution is what you guys have been doing, which is um, helping um, smaller or communities in smaller cities by having like speaker exchanges and, and so on or, you know, but, but I think there's other things one can do as well, like trying different formats and, and organizing maybe less frequent, bigger events um, that people can go to, stuff like that. But yeah, it's an interesting topic because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, nothing beats face-to-face -face sort of communication. And even though the work that we do is, is in front of computer screens and we interact with one another through Twitter blog posts and chat, I mean, the sort of level of communication is completely different when you get to actually meet someone in person and, and talk things over, you know, talk about things over a beer. So, What about your day-to-day -day job? Are you more into business now or are you still developing things? It's kind of hard to say. I mean, I, I, do, I do code a bit, but uh, maybe not as much as I would like. Um, mostly I'm kind of doing project management stuff and, and trying to find new um, new clients for our consulting uh, business. So Anton uh, and I, um, like we've started a new company about a year ago. So Ant Anton is the co-founder of Moscow JS that I mentioned earlier. Um, so back in the day, and, and actually, you know, we had an, like a reason we weren't being completely altruistic for starting um, Moscow JS, but actually at the time we were working on this service called Axel, which was kind of like Cloud9 plus Heroku all rolled into one. And we're actually looking for people to, that would like try out our platform. And that was the main reason why we started Moscow JS. Um, anyway, so, so uh, what happened was we basically um, in the end ended up doing client work on top of our platform, even though we had quite a few developers and even like production quality apps running on top of it. Um, we never figured out what the business model should be. And then, it sort of ended up being doing consulting work that, that we're doing for others on top of our platform. Um, you know, and then we parted ways for a while, although we kept in touch. And then a year, a year and a half ago, we started Tough Bite, um, where we're basically doing what we did five years ago, where we do client work for people. Um, but now we have no delusions about what we're actually aiming for. You know, we're just trying to uh, build a cool team and, and, um, you know, do, do uh, cool projects for our, for our clients, and uh, that's been going pretty well. So, we've grown from just the two of us to almost twenty people now, depending on how you count. Um, so, you know, when when you're kind of growing pretty quickly and bringing new people on board, then what tends to happen is you have less time to do the actual work and, and you end up doing more meta work. <laughs> like you end up doing work to make the work of others easier. So, so that's what I've been doing. But I, um, I have been kind of hacking away on some, on some side projects and things. Um, and, you know, also reading books on, on, on some stuff that I feel that I should, I should know more about. So being, being, uh, I'm kind of like going maybe, back when it comes like backwards in time when it comes to technology trends so now i'm reading a book about rails actually <laughs> so yeah but yeah I, i do have some some stuff i work on and i've got a github profile you know so i guess it'll it's mentioned somewhere 
um, on the site so people can check out what I've been working on. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to, to come back to what you're saying, so I, I do um, uh, kind of write code for fun because uh, I think that's important. You shouldn't always be doing stuff that you need to do in your day job. And then in my day job, I, you know, review code occasionally and, and make some simple pull requests, but I don't do like like coding isn't my primary function at the moment. How do you find, uh, do any meetups uh, that you organize help you in, in the business? Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, we were just talking about this with Anton. Um, that, you know, a lot of the, well, we don't really do outbound sales. Um, like we, we get a lot of inbound requests from people and the requests we get are largely due to the fact that I'm running either the Helsinki JS or the Helsinki Meta Meetup, um, for, for like consulting work and, and training. We, we run some workshops as well. Um, you know, there's, there's, also like a local startup accelerator called Startup Sauna, th through which you know I've met a few people who, who've also sent potential cases our way. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's been a big help. Uh, it, it wasn't, you know, when I started Helsinki JS, unlike Moscow JS, I didn't have any commercial reason for starting it. Um, I just kind of, I just moved from Moscow and I felt like there wasn't a community here. Um, that closely represented what we'd built in Moscow. Um, and since I, I just moved, I didn't, I didn't really know that many people. I sort of decided to start to start the meetup here. So, you know, f for the first, whatever, three, four years that I was running it, it, it wasn't, I mean, there was no commercial agenda. And in fact, there still isn't a commercial agenda. It's just a kind of a nice byproduct, I guess, of, of me organizing these events that, yeah. that we do. We do get some some potential customers, yeah. Yeah, I think in general, uh, people can take from meetups so much more than than people usually take, right? So even even if you attend meetups, I think if you like, for example, if you talk more to to speakers, uh, to those people who organize the meetup, you you can get um, I don't know interesting ideas, contacts, whatever, which I find people somehow underuse. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, most people tend to see, well, meetups as a kind of, I'll go there, I'll listen to the talks, I'll learn something, and then I'll, I'll leave. Or, or then they come to events and they talk to people they already know, right? I mean, I think the whole point of meetups is to meet new people, but not only meet them once, like you do at some large conference that you never then go to again, but actually make like build long lasting relationships with people that you meet over and over again. Like maybe not every month, right? But every two, three months, uh, at least that you touch base with them, see how they're doing and see how things are progressing. And, and those are really, really valuable relationships because they start, you know, I mean, they start out being about some common interest that you have. Right. But then I think, and then maybe they're a bit more kind of, work related but i think over time they kind of often tend to evolve into friendships which is great so so i think as meetup organizers i think it's our responsibility i mean like people show up to the meetups because of the um you know speakers but they stay because of the other attendees so i think our responsibility as meetup organizers should be to like facilitate that interaction uh between attendees and community members
uh, perhaps more so than 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 like trying to find the best speakers and the best talks and and so on. Yeah, definitely agree. Do you have any tips on how meetup organizers can actually facilitate this? Um, I have some ideas, but I mean, maybe we can leave that for the actual talk so that people okay. have something to look forward to. Otherwise, I'll just share all my ideas here and then I won't have anything interesting to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Let's start with an unusual one. What do you think would you do if computers were not around? Right. Well, I mean, it's not a complete surprise because you sent me the list of questions before, and so I've had I've had time to think about this. But uh, <laughs> actually, this was the most tricky one. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, if there were no computers, but there were calculators, maybe I would be programming calculators. Um, but I, I guess the, the idea is that if there wasn't like any sort of IT technology whatsoever, right? Um, I don't know. I, I I sort of thought I'd probably want to be an inventor of some sort of like physical gadgets. Um, that that because I mean that to me is the closest thing to being a software developer that I can think of. And that as a software developer, you're building stuff that other people can use. Um, you know, and, and and that's kind of the the what makes it fun that you can kind of work on something and it's not um, a kind of a, how should I say, um, it, it's not a format where people passively consume it, but it's rather like some sort of a gadget widget thing that people interact with, right? So so it almost has a life of its own. Um, so if one is sort of to, to try and translate that into the real world, then I would say, you know, building, like inventing new gadgets and widgets would probably be be the thing that I would, I would like to do. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I'm pretty lazy, so, or maybe fortunately. And, and the nice thing with computers is you don't actually have to deal with all the hard stuff like logistics, distribution, you know, getting your hands uh, dirty and, and, and actually like assembling things. So, you know, I get to get away easy by, by just working on software. But but if if that wasn't an option, then I think um, like building real real physical products would be the, the next best thing. Yeah. Interesting point that uh, today's engineers are basically inventors. But I think there is also some form of craftsmanship right. to it. Yes, there is innovation, but there is also just work that needs to be done and that, that you can master. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, but, but I would still argue that with, with software, there's a lot more in, in innovation. Or in other words, well, I mean, I mean, I guess it's kind of a philosophical discussion, but I mean, if you're building tables or something, right, I mean, you probably work out a process whereby, you know, you learn how to build one table after another, um, you know, maybe with slight differences, but but you kind of get, you're basically building the same thing and you get to perfect it with every single time you do it. So you're working on your technique and, and so on. But the issue with software development is that 
you know, um, oftentimes you don't know what you don't know, or you, and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So it's this kind of a constant process of discovery and, and having to re-educate yourself. So you're not like building a table every time, but you know, you're building something that's supposed to help people. Um, I don't know, um, hold objects at the right level so that they can eat. But oftentimes you end up coming up with something different from a table. <laughs> So, so I guess there are similarities, right? But I'm saying that there's kind of also this added dimension of, um, how should I say, this constant uncertainty, um, if you will, and uh, and I think that's kind of the the fun part, um, right? And it, and it's also something that attracts, uh, you know, certain kind of people to, to doing software development professionally. You know, it's mostly people that aren't afraid of of constantly you know, throwing away things that they've learned and learning new things and, and kind of constantly reinventing themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fun part. Have you been to Vilnius before? I have, um, but only passing through. So I've never stayed there for more than like 30 minutes. Okay. Do you have uh, anything you want to see there? Um, I haven't done my research yet, but I'm sure there's some pretty nice historical sites. So those would be good to check out. Um, you know, in reality, what I probably will end up seeing will be some kids' playgrounds because um, hmm. I just booked my flights yesterday, and yeah, we're coming with our whole family, so oh, that's good. So, so should be good. Um, yeah, also wanted to check out some some good restaurants. Yeah, <laughs> not setting my uh, my sort of ambitions too high here. Um, in that, when you're traveling with a child, oftentimes. It can be quite stressful. So, if if we if we uh, get to walk around a nice park, uh, I'll be happy. Yeah. Do you have any books or talks that you think shaped you as an engineer? Uh, yeah. So uh, there are some books, um, but I don't think these are books that would be particularly useful to to others. Um, so, I mean. The, the way the way I got into programming was that my dad worked for like a research institute back in the Soviet Union, and he uh, they they basically you know did did some um, kind of built models for modeling the flow of water in lakes, so flow dynamics that kind of stuff. So um, back in the eighties, they had a bunch of like PCs uh, at their institute, and my dad would sort of take me there on weekends and I'd get to play computer games. So um, at the time, we didn't have a computer of our own, um, but my dad did have a, a book on BASIC. So like after playing the computer games, I got really excited about the idea of trying to build my own. And there was this book. I don't think it was a particularly good book, but it was the only book there was. Um, so I read that basically, um, you know, from front to back a few times and kind of, you know, got the gist of what programming is about without ever actually programming to begin with. So, so, so in a way that book was, I guess, the most important book and I'm very glad that my dad had it, <laughs> um, you know, and, and then, and then later we did get a computer and, and I did write some stuff in basic and then, and then did some stuff in C, C++. There, there were other books that, that I thought were important as well, largely for the same reason that, these are the books I had, and this was kind of pre-internet, 
time, so there, was, there wasn't really much else available. Um, so there, there was a great book about um, C++. Um, I actually forget what it's called now, but I still have it somewhere. Um, and then there was another book, which I actually explicitly asked my dad to buy for me, about programming 3D graphics in OpenGL. I think it was called OpenGL Super Bible. Um, that was a very, like, kind of important book and that I read it back to back a bunch of times, even though, like, when I first read it, I didn't understand, like, maybe four-fifths of what, what was in that book, but by reading it over and over again and, and then, like, reading up on other topics like matrices and so on, and then I eventually understood everything that was written in that book. So, so th those were were kind of important books um, when I was just starting out before I was doing software development professionally, and then, um, like I guess one book, although I didn't spend much time, well, that much time reading it because it's not such a big book, but that kind of um, describes an inflection point, I guess, in, in my career was um, JavaScript: The Good Parts, which I'm sure everyone knows. Um, and the reason that that was like an important book was because up until that point, I'd been programming in like statically typed, more enterprisey languages like C, C++. You know, I'd, I'd done a bit of Ruby and PHP and things like that. Um, but, you know, most of my day-to-day -day stuff was done in like C Sharp or Java, right? And... I have to say, I kind of got a bit burnt out and a bit frustrated with doing development because it seemed like it was unnecessarily complicated. Like to build a web app, you had to jump through a bunch of hoops and, and it wasn't just fun anymore uh, in the way it had been fun when I'd started out and doing basic. And obviously I'd, I'd programmed in JavaScript, but like most people back then, you know, I wasn't really taking it very seriously. Um, but there were some use cases where I thought JavaScript could be good because most people, well, it was easy to get started with. Um, so then, then I started uh, reading more, more like more and more uh, posts about JS and, and trying to do more and more complex things in JavaScript. But um, yeah, that, that book, JS, The Good Parts, was kind of, I guess, the, the, the summary of my findings and it kind of summarized my thoughts well. Um, that, you know, actually JavaScript is a very cool language and, and that a lot of people um, really underestimated it back in the day. Um, you know, but, you know, now, 10 years later, uh, or however, and it's even more than 10 now, um, you know, obviously JavaScript is, is the language. So, so, so in, in that sense, that was an important book. Do you have any books that you usually recommend to, to your teammates? Um, well, um, fortunately, the developers working on our team are pretty senior, so I don't need to recommend JS the good parts to them. <laughs> Although I have worked in some companies where I've had to recommend that to, to people uh, doing front-end develop development. Um, so, I mean, you know, JS the good parts is a good book to read if you haven't read it, even if you've been doing... Um, like front-end JS development for a while. Because I think there's a lot of things there, like prototype-based inheritance and, and, and other things that, that most people don't really know or understand properly. Um, even if they use those features, you know, or even if they write in JS uh, day in, day out. Um, so that's a good book to recommend. But actually, like a book that I'm, I'm recommending to a lot of people now, not necessarily only software developers, um, is, is it's it's more of a 
well, not more. It's very much a business startup book. But I think it's still a good read for engineers. Um, it's called Running Lean um, by an author from uh, Austin, Texas called Ash Moria. And um, what's good about that book is that um, it's the kind of book that you can read over and over again and still find it useful. Because nowadays I find that a lot of books are kind of throwaway and that you read them once or skim through them and, th and then there's often not much reason to come back to them because if you need to look something up, you can just Google it, right? But um, what's good about Running Lean is that it's a, it's a manual, um, essentially, for how you should go about um, figuring out what product you need to build in the first place. Right, so it's it's part of this whole lean startup trend where you try and um, you know as quickly as possible find product market fit you know by running doing customer development and and then building an an MVP and a, min, a minimal viable product and I think that's a very good sort of approach and a mindset to take even if what you do isn't it is just development even if you're not like a product or a business person um, simply because I mean, I think, well, coming back to what we're talking about later, right? I think developers like building things that sort of take a life on their own, interact with people in some way, right? It's almost like you're building like these living things that are kind of a, a part of you in some sense. And, um, um, you know, I, I think like a, a, a sort of an extension of that idea then is is that, you know, since you're building something that, that has a life of its own, what you actually want is to be able to have that thing that you built um, survive for as long as possible, right? I, I don't know if, if you have that or if other people have that, but to me it seems like the idea of writing some code that is still going to be running away, running somewhere and being used by someone, say, 50, 100 years from now, you know, or even 20 years from now, is somehow very exciting. Um, I've sort of ha had that happen to me once, but over a much shorter time scale, in that uh, I worked back in 2000, I worked on some SMS-based mobile games. And then, and then I moved, and this was back in Finland, you know, these games were kind of deployed all over the world. Um, and, um, you know, but, but we never got to actually see who the end users were or, or how they were being marketed to people. And, and then something like four years later, or maybe even five, I moved to the UK. And, and even though the company that I worked for that, that where we built the game had, had long gone bust, um, it was kind of very cool to see uh, an operator in the UK still running that game that we built five years earlier and, st and still promoting it. So anyway, I mean, that, that kind of a feeling that you've built something that lasts, that people still interact with the news, I think is very important. And as a result, I think it's very important to read the Running Lean book because that helps you ensure that the stuff that you're building is actually going to last. That you're not that you're not building something that is going to be like throw away completely irrelevant in, in a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, more and more engineers get into this mindset of, you know, building building a product, actually. Yeah. Like, not, not just writing code, but building something useful for, for 
for the community, for people around, for themselves. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, I think what, what, what we're seeing is that a lot of larger corporates that traditionally haven't had that mindset are also, like, starting to think like that, which is great. Um, so, so in a way, that's kind of tie, tying that into, uh, you know, what we're doing at Tough Byte. You know, we're not, at the end of the day, delivering code, right? But we're kind of... Um, you know, d delivering the service of helping companies deliver digital services that are going to be things that people actually want to use and, and that will hopefully be around around for quite a while to come still, right? Because that should be, like, the, the key metric, right? I mean, what's the yeah. value that you're providing? Are, are, you, are you building something that people actually want to use and so on? Yeah, and that's a challenge. Yeah, and I think a lot of developers sort of, well, I mean, you're right that a lot of people are starting to think along these lines, but I think a lot of the um, kind of mindset that you have as a developer um, almost um, kind of goes against this idea that you should be thinking about user right, users, right, right. right? Because, I mean, the best code and, and the most elegant code is code that doesn't interact with users in any way, right? It's some sort of an algorithm, you know, that's kind of pure, that has clear inputs and clear outputs, and you've designed it to be super scalable, you know, running on a cluster of, I don't know, Docker instances or whatever. But the reality is that, you know, no real-world application runs in isolation. Even if you're building some sort of a back-end system, you're interacting with other systems through APIs, which are broken, can be down sometimes, and so on. But then when you when your application starts interacting with users, you know, then, then you start getting asynchronous events, you get people not understanding which button to click and all these types of things that then end up, you know, making your, your code less elegant. And, and having to, to take on compromises, so so a lot of people try and like sort of push push back on that and say, you know, uh, you know, I want to write great code, you know, and at the end of the day, it, you know, the you know, it's the users who are dumb. It's not it's not me, my or my code. My code is great, <laughs> but which which I think is the wrong way to 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 look at things. But but I can see the appeal in that. So. Yeah, I also find uh, found recently that sometimes. Engineers specifically uh, start working on the product because of some technologies or something that they want to learn, and right. that's great. But then, when when the product actually starts getting some traction, and they have to they have to start thinking about things like marketing and like how do you promote the product, how do you reach your users, they somehow get discouraged. Right. Yeah. Th th there is that, and and. Um... Yeah, and also that you have to start doing customer support and dealing with people and, and so on. Um, so yeah, that that's certainly an issue, um, which which is a shame, right? Because if if the, the developers were willing to to sort of think approach things with more of a product mindset, um, you know, then then I think they could quite quickly learn to enjoy those other things as well. Because in, in a way, in a way, building a product, doing the marketing. Um, you know, building a team or whatever is just as much fun as writing code. It's just slightly different, different kind of work. Um, yeah, but it can be just as much fun. Yeah, I know that you have some some kind of a um, not a question, but a 
challenge, I would call it, for people who would like to get a free ticket to the conference? Right. Yeah, so so the challenge is the following. Uh, so, so my talk will be about how to run a JS meetup. Um, but there's already a bunch of JS meetups out there. And there's many that you know, are run in, in smaller cities that maybe are not known outside of those cities. Now, what I find quite nice is that when I travel, whenever I have the opportunity, I try to attend local meetups or at least meet local meetup organizers. But in order for one to be able to do that, you actually need to know what are the meetups in that town you're in. And um, <clears throat> there's been an effort by someone I know from uh, from Germany and, and, and from actually the first JS meetup that I actually participated in, Cologne JS. Uh, there's an effort called Community JS, um, which is an attempt to build a database of all the JavaScript and front-end meetups all over the world. It's been around for quite a while now, um, and and it, I guess it's been a bit less active recently. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking that as a result, there's probably quite a few JavaScript and front-end meetups meet, missing from this database. Um, so kind of the challenge is to uh, essentially add uh, new meetup groups, uh, new communities uh, to this database. And, and the way in which you can do that is by Googling community.js, we're going to community.js.org. And then there is uh, like a fork me on GitHub link. And then through that, you'll find the organization. There's a repo there, um, which actually contains the raw data that's used by the website in, in JSON format. So what you can do is um, send a pull request, including um, one or more meetups uh, that isn't already listed in, the, in that database. And, and basically, the, the idea here is, well, we need to agree on, on the timing and so on, but um, maybe set a date like, I don't know, sometime mid-August. But whoever submits a pull request with the most um, number of new uh, meetups that aren't already in other pull requests that are open or already in the database uh, will get get the ticket. Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. I think I think mid-August might be uh, a little bit late. Oh, late. Okay. Yeah, we can do it like so, uh, a bit earlier like in the week. Yeah, if, if people, if yeah, I guess if people uh, need to book their flights and hotels and things, then it's best to do it to do it sooner. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. sounds good. Then people can just tweet at us the link to the pull request, and we'll see it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. How can people reach you online, by the way? Um. Well, I guess Twitter. So just my name, and I think it's mentioned on the website. That's probably the, the best way. Um, but you can also email me if you want. So Oleg at toughbyte.com. Okay, it's been a pleasure, Oleg. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Yeah, thanks, no problem. Uh, see you in a few weeks. See you.